Blog Talk Radio. Live from Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. A tax lawyer prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. Welcome, everybody. Woo! Can you feel it? Welcome to the show today. My name is Mark Kohler, your co-host for today. I'm so excited to just say right out uh, right out of the gate, right off the bat, whatever you want to say. I've got Matt Sorensen on the line, my partner in the law firm and uh, co-host of today's show. Matt, you there? Ready to rock? Oh, I am here, present. All right, we salute you. So... Uh, we are ready to rock. So, well, thanks for being here. And folks, if you're listening uh, as a new listener, this is our open forum show once a month to talk tax and legal strategies. I'm your CPA attorney, uh, author, uh, family man, scoutmaster, surfer, and we've got Matt Sorensen, also an author, an attorney, uh, partner at KKOS Lawyers, speaking around the country. We've got lots of good stuff to share. We're excited to be here today. So. Thank you, you just for listening didn't give me scoutmaster or surfer or any of those terms, huh? Okay. Well, I will say, <laughs> I should say professional bike racer. Uh, what else can I throw? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm many things. Pretty close. Let's leave some mystery <laughs> out there. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll have to work on, you know, I'll introduce you, you introduce me in the future. We'll get this nail, you know, nailed down. There you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah. In fact, just as a little cat, you know, kind of a little cat out of the bag uh, for all of our listeners here today, we are within weeks of launching uh, a new radio show, uh, kind of a, a facelift, if you will, kind of a new title. Matt and I will be co-hosting together in the future. We're going to be uh, adding uh, some bells and whistles and a little different format to the show, and I think it's uh, really going to enhance your experience. We want to say thank you to all of you that are regular listeners of the show, and we've, we're only taking it to the next level with better guests, more content, more cutting-edge information, and keeping it lighthearted and fun. So, I don't know, Matt, was I, I, I sharing too much there? I guess. Oh, no, it's yeah. awesome. It's going to be refreshing. I can't wait to do it. And uh, we're going to have a good time going back and forth and talking to guests. I'm really actually excited for it. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. So, well, I uh, uh, together, Matt and I, uh, through our newsletter, we'll keep you posted on the updates for the new show and uh, keep you posted. Uh, on that note, um, we'll probably bring out here our, uh, I guess I should say, partner in the accounting firm side, just, uh, again, a huge resource to us, a regular guest on the show. And so I know that he's going to share a tip with us today. We're lucky to have him in the throes of tax season already. So let's let me say this, folks. We're going to jump into all the questions. Many of you have already sent in your questions uh, via email. To I'm kind of playing um, uh, the email uh, traffic cop today. So uh, if you have a question for the show, you can dial in, and live callers always get priority. Lisa O is in the studio. She'll be helping out filtering calls and bring you on the line. If you're listening on your computer, just dial in 646-200-4285. Press the number one. She'll bring you out onto the show. And we're going to be jumping to those questions that we already have even via email. If you want to email me, it's mark at kkoslawyers, mark at markjkohler.com, mark at kne-cpas. Many of you, of course, if you're if you're getting the newsletter, you, the link's right there on the newsletter. Click on that and type up a quick question. Uh, if it's too involved, we'll recommend a consultation or something like that, but we're going to do our best to hit those questions here on the show today. And as I was saying, we've got Liddell Air, uh, again, a huge resource to us, um, to all of our listeners and our partner and one we love. So we'll bring him out now if he's got a second and share a little tax tip with us. Liddell, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. It's good to be on the Mark Kohler Show. Well, yeah, we're going to, you know, it's, yeah, thanks for saying that. We're going to be changing that. All right. <laughs> okay, it's it's a little too uh, egocentric, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to call it the Matt Sorensen Show. How about that? <laughs> hey, it works for about me. time. Just don't call it the Liddell Air Show. <laughs> That's great until you got to be on once a week <laughs> for an hour. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, then, then Liddell would be stuck here. So, um, yeah, we're glad you're here, though, on a on a regular basis, intermittent basis. So, so Liddell, it is tax season. We know you're busy. We've got a lot of open form questions here, so we're going to push you along here. What do you got for us? A little tip today. Well, what I wanted to talk about is you you refer to it in your in the newsletter that comes out too, but I wanted to touch on just two or three of the dirty dozen scams. I've had just in the past two weeks I had a client contact me and it had to do with one of the dirty dozen, it had to do with the phone scams. And I had a client mm. get a get a cell phone, get a call on their cell phone, left a message and it was very official that and it sounded like it was from an IRS agent, sounded very official. He owes a bunch of taxes. If he didn't get them paid, he was going to jail. Gave him a number to call. And 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 he was smart enough that once they got searching it on the Internet, they searched that phone number that he was supposed to call, and, it, and then it turned out to be a scam. So that's that's one of the main ones is don't, don't ever accept, you know, or, or even call back those numbers that say in there from the IRS. Usually you'll get an official notices, letters, those kind of things from the IRS. They won't ever call you unless they've officially been in contact with you before via an IRS notice. So that's one thing that's happened in the last two weeks. Second one, always be aware of is the phishing emails. Don't don't respond to those emails from you know a so-called IRS agent or collections for IRS or any of that because there's so many scammers well, out there. Go ahead. Well, let me just say, so if an IRS agent emails me or calls me and says, I want to go fishing, I would think that would be a great opportunity to build a relationship <laughs> with someone on the inside. Is that You're not saying do that? I'm saying um, fishing with a PH, <laughs> not an F. Oh, okay. All right. So it's maybe like for those that don't know. It's mark and fat with an F. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. I know you're most familiar with those words, but. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, Mark, okay, you sure you want me on this? What it's going to be like, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Man, I'm afraid to say anything now. It's like I'll, I'll make one comment, and I just get thrown under the bus, man. Just pull over, you know, back over the car over me a second time, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so maybe explain what phishing means, Liddell. So this phishing emails, I guess that's them phishing for information. Is that yeah, with, with a P? PH, yes, phishing for information, sending out fake emails or websites that. That are only looking to steal your personal information. They're they're trying to use the IRS to, as a scare tactic to for you to provide personal information where they can scam you and get you to pay money to them, thinking you're paying back taxes, those kind of things. So yeah, watch out for the phone scams. Watch out for the phishing emails. The last one I want to just touch on quickly was identity theft. Um, this happens. Um, I wouldn't say it, it, it happens. Is what, I guess what I should say is the identity theft. Lot, generally, when we see it, it'll pop up when we've e-filed a return, and a return will come back and say, "Oh, there's already been a return filed," and then then we have to start the whole process with the IRS of getting this, you know, letting them know that there has been identity theft. This even happened to my own mother. Um, so it's it's not uncommon. So. Pay attention, you know, to your credit reports. Pay attention to, you know, when you file your taxes. Obviously, if you're getting your taxes done here, we'll let you know if there's something that pops up um, that there has been a return filed. You know, just just keep your eye on your financial information so that so that you can't have identity stolen. Well, great tips. I the I think. Uh, Everyone should please take a moment and read that blog article on these top 12 scams, the Dirty Dozen. The IRS rarely does anything that's extremely helpful, but this is one. Uh, for every year, they they do kind of promote these uh, these things to look out for, and it's kind of fun to look at the list. They've got a lot of cases, and it's, it's very uh, interesting to see what's going on nationwide, worldwide, on some of these even offshore issues. So, folks, I take these to heart. So go check out the uh, the blog article on that in our newsletter today. If you um, 
don't have access to that, you can get to it and sign up for it on any of the websites or send me an email and we'll get you signed up. So great, great comments. Matt, anything you want to add to that too? No, no. I, I, uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, in that dirty dozen list, I mean, there's a lot of other things that go into, you know, aggressive tax structures and things I actually thought was interesting, but I know you're trying to move along. So, uh, uh, I just want to say if you, if you, one thing that I think is interesting, just a quick little thought on that is <clears throat> when you get someone that's promoting some really aggressive tax structure, there's some good advice in the dirty dozen list there about what to do, which is essentially call a professional. So, and I, we get clients that call us all the time. So-and-so said I could do this and we're like, nah, you can't do that. I mean, that, and that's um, another helpful tip from the dirty dozen list. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds too good to be true. It could be. Yeah. So, yeah, or uh, just call it the radio show on Open Forum, and we'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just go to the there Open Forum. That, that's I'll a great plug. point. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> Liddell, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it and uh, all your hard work. And folks, if you uh, need to get a hold of Liddell, just call the main number there at the office, and uh, he's he'll he, there's a good chance he'll be working on your tax return at the very moment. You never know. You day. never know. Lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks guys. All right, thanks. All right. Well, we're going to jump over to a quick legal tip as well. We're going to uh, have Kevin Kennedy come out on the line. He is an attorney in our Phoenix office and does a fantastic job helping clients all over the country, huge asset to our firm, and usually has an insightful comment. But I, I guess I, sh- I shouldn't make presumptions. Kevin, uh, how are you doing today? I don't know how insightful I am uh, this morning, but uh, we'll see what I've got. How are you guys? Yeah, that, that's what I was worried about. I, I didn't want to yeah. jump to conclusions that this was going to be insightful. We're hoping it is. but Yeah, yeah. You know, all the jury's still out. Okay, yeah. so I'll be quick. I know we got a lot of uh, you guys have a lot of things to get to. So today's legal tip is is that for our business owner clients, they may want to consider the benefits of of using. Uh, non-compete agreements uh, and or non-solicit agreements um, in their dealings with certain employees, uh, maybe their sales staff, maybe maybe even their business partners, and even in certain independent contractor situations. So for those who don't know, a non-compete agreement basically restricts the person who signs it from competing with you, from competing with your business for a certain period of time you know, in a certain geographic region, and a non-solicit agreement restricts the person who signs it from trying to take away your clients from you. Um, and many times, you know, these will be in the same agreement, you know, along with maybe a non-disclosure uh, provision or a confidentiality provision so that, you know, they're not going to disclose, you know, certain confidential information that uh, that pertains to your company. So anyway, it can be that quick if you want to, uh, basically, for for our small business owners, a solid you know, non-compete, non-solicit agreement can be very helpful uh, in protecting, you know, a business owner who's spent years, you know, building up their business, you know, building up their clientele, and and only to have someone from the inside, you know, leave and potentially take away their clients, you know, open up shop down the street and start competing with them. These are great agreements to have, uh, but I just say, you know, you want to make sure you sit down with a, a competent attorney before you implement these uh, because there's some, you know, it changes not only based on the state you're in, but even what industry you're in. Um, and then looking at the nature of the restrictions, making sure that they're they're reasonable. So that's the long and short of it, you guys. These are great agreements for our business owner clients, um, and, and we can help them out if they want to uh, get some more advice on that. They can They can contact me, so... We'll love it. Great. Uh, important topic for everyone to consider that's in small business. It's interesting. I had a phone call just this last week. It was last week a client called me up, literally uh, half in tears, half yelling, upset because uh, an employee of theirs had uh, ran off and started a competing business. And there was no uh, non-solicitation agreement, non-competition agreement. None of those agreements were in place. And she was asking, what can I do to stop this employee? And, man, the options were very, very limited. So uh, mm-hmm. it's something you really need to be thinking about. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, well, exactly. 
Thanks so much. Uh, Kevin, appreciate you coming on the line and, and sharing such an important uh, topic with our listeners today. And we hope to uh, have you back again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Now, Matt, as we're co-hosting here, I'm not going to just call you out for a comment. You just got to interject. Just throw me under the bus again. <laughs> throw it out there. So I'm if, just if like, a I was, you there. know, waiting to get into the open form then. You got your format you like to run, you know, so I've been, <laughs> you know, just letting you be the lead dog, you know. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> There's a little pause there. That's a, you know, key indicator. That you means, for you to hey, talk. And I just want to let you know, that was not me breathing into the phone like like I was walking up a flight of stairs. Just want to let you know that I was on mute. Oh, so that must have been Kevin then. Or that could have been me. Uh, I'm going to have to watch Kevin. out. <laughs> I'll bet it was Kevin. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little blame. I better keep my phone on mute. All right, well, folks, we're going to jump into these open forum questions. This is a lot of fun. If you've just joined us, we are now in the throes of the open forum show. Once a month, we want to take questions and calls from uh, all of you, our listeners from around the country. We're trying to run the chat window. Uh, we've had a little bit of uh, disconnect there, so I'm going to t- let Lisa know in the studio. Please text me if there's a caller on the line. If we're having any difficulty getting out a caller, uh, text me, Lisa, and we will make sure we get that caller out. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to jump straight to the emails. Oh, hold it. We've got an important uh, well, before we, we'll save our important announcements for the end of the show. We've got some of a live free webinar later this week on an important topic. Also, some events uh, over the next three to four weeks that we want to announce. So we'll get to those at the end of the show. But until then, let's just jump right into it and hit some of these questions. And it's kind of a first come, first serve. So uh, I'm going to jump over to John and uh, see what what he's got for us here. He says, Mark, first off, thanks for your commitment to helping investors with your podcast and show. I really learn a uh, a lot from the uh, broadcast. Also, I was a recipient of your Lawyers or Liars book from Karn's OC Investor Club last year when Matt was there with you uh, and Lee as well. Oh, I remember that. That was kind of a panel discussion. That was fun. Well, thanks, John, for uh, emailing in. He says, on to my questions. Um, Wow, I can already see this is going to be tough. Uh, he says, I have in-laws from the Philippines that would like to invest here. Would they be able to invest through a self-directed IRA? Well, uh, the next question involves Australia. So, Matt, I'm going to give you the Philippines. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, if they have retirement plan funds, maybe one of them has a 401k. I don't know. You know, they could be – I don't – the Philippines thing throws me, you know, for loop here. Presumably they have U.S. retirement plan dollars. Um, if that's the case, they could roll them over to a self-directed retirement account. Um, if they don't have retirement plan funds already in the U.S., they would have to have earned income in the U.S. to be able to contribute to the retirement account. So if they're in the Philippines, that's where they've always been. They don't have income in the U.S. Um, I don't see a way for them to invest through a self-directed IRA, but Presuming they do, or if they have an existing account, sure, they could use a self-directed IRA, and uh, they could invest nope. through that mechanism. Yeah, and I would throw this other thought. For for any of you listening that are thinking, what's a self-directed IRA or uh, foreign investors, and boy, that's deep. Let me just throw this out. When you set up a special purpose LLC that could involve IRAs or 401ks or any of this stuff, remember, you can have non-IRA owners. So if you've got your IRA in the mix and you have some uh, family members or friends from another country that have non-IRA money, uh, you can uh, invest with both tax-deferred and non-after-tax money or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Put together an LLC that's got all sorts of partners with different uh, resources, and that's fine. So don't feel like when you have an IRA LLC, it's strictly for IRA or 401k money or HSAs or something like that. Uh, your Philippine partners may want to bring in some of their own cash and play in the game. So, lots of yeah, options. and get a consult on that if it's family, because there are some prohibited transaction issues for family members where, you know, the, the, the IRS basically res- has some restrictions and rules you got to follow if you're going to put in some some certain family member money in with your IRA. But definitely a, a viable option. Uh, we yeah, I just don't and, know enough details one, to give you a green light. You know, it's kind of like uh, yellow light. Proceed with caution. 
Yeah, yeah. And Is that one of the, I don't the, even know. <laughs> yeah, I like that yellow light. And also, uh, John, it's important you know that there is a time-tested law and rule in uh, the IRS that states never invest with a brother-in-law. So uh, if you've done business with a brother-in-law, for those listeners, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not sure if it is a what type of in-law this is, but be careful. Mother-in-laws may fall in that category too. So just keep that in mind. All right, second question. He says some of the in-laws <laughs> are coming from Australia. They have their equivalent 401ks called – uh, I wish ours were super. Uh, he says, would they be able to roll over their funds from Australia into a self-directed IRA? Um, I would say, John, I think that's a long shot. I don't think that's going to happen. I consulted with a number of Canadians before that have their Canadian retirement plans. Uh, they're built under a particular structure in different countries, and I think you're going to have a tough time. Now, could their 401k super whatever it is be a partner in an LLC? Sure. It doesn't have to be a self-directed IRA to play in your for in your LLC project. So uh, don't think that's a requirement. And, and their 401k super count, whatever it is in Australia, could be a wonderful fit uh, for them as an Australian citizen. So we don't want to jam them into a U.S. self-directed IRA if it won't help them. Um, okay, last question, Matt. says, in-laws just got their social security numbers, thus no credit history. Would it be beneficial to them if they establish business history, then build their credit history through the business that has been established? Well, um, not, I mean, yes and no. I mean, that's obviously good. I guess the objective is to get business credit, but almost all business credit is going to look at the credit of the individual owner anyways as well. So, if their personal credit is thin, that's going to um, complicate things in terms of business credit. But, uh, you know, that's a hard analysis to make because, frankly, you're talking about bank policies. And there's some variations between the banks, <clears throat> also between the different types of industries. Is it going to be, you know, a loan for equipment or what, what's the, the financing for? Do they have a lot of cash and assets to pledge or not? So um, I... I mean, you really have to focus on both, I would think, to to be present a good credit risk to a bank in terms of lending. Yeah, big topic when you start talking about credit. And uh, one of the shows I'd recommend for you to listen to, John, is the uh, Building Corporate Credit radio show. We've done several radio shows on that topic. Uh, most recently, we had Credit Nerds on and uh, Bob Tierney out of Chicago. They did a fantastic job breaking down a lot of these issues. So. I would recommend you listen to that show. I think it would help out a lot. Okay, Garrett says, uh, Mark, thank you for the awesome show. Here's the basic question. My wife and I plan to start farming this year on a small scale. Ooh, sounds exciting. Are there any tax or legal – now, I do want to say the word farming brings up a lot for me. I'm just going to throw this out because if you've been watching The Bachelor, I, I mean, this this guy, Chris, he's a farmer from Iowa, and – it, you know, I'm worried about some of these girls when they go visit his family. And uh, next Sunday and Sunday is a two-night episode, and it's it's going to be a big deal. So, okay. So some of these city just, girls, I mean, are, are those not the yeah, kind of girls you'll see on FarmersOnly.com? <laughs> yeah, these are not FarmersOnly.com girls on the, on the Bachelor <laughs> this year. So, <laughs> so uh, now for those that were watching The Bachelor last night, huge show. So, okay, I'll leave it at that because I'm going to lose all my credibility with our listeners. Okay, so are there? I, I've got to watch something with my wife and teenage daughter, so forgive me, folks. Are there any tax or legal situations specific to farming we should be aware of? Oh, my gosh, huge, Garrett. And Liddell, I just saw him drop off the line. He was listening to the show. Um, let me just, gosh, keep going here with his questions. Details. We have a small amount of capital to invest this year and want to get started by direct selling chickens to friends and family. We hope to build the business on the side slowly and eventually make it a full-time business. Thank you so much for what, uh, all that you do, Mark. Okay, this is huge, Garrett. Uh, you could very well be using a Schedule F uh, as your tax reporting scheme uh, or tax reporting form. <laughs> don't want to use the word scheme on the show. Uh, tax reporting form. Uh, this, the benefits of farming are huge. The hobby loss rules do not apply. Uh, Liddell Air, why I bring him up, um, he is, serves on the board of directors for Western Ag. He speaks at conferences on farming strategies. 
uh, I would highly recommend that you try to schedule a 30-minute consult uh, with Liddell Air in the next uh, few weeks. Talk to Sandy Clark in our office and just uh, beg her to get you in. I know it's tax season, so it's a little busy for Liddell, but just say you're a new farming client, you want a half hour, and I think Liddell would bring you along on some key issues you need to worry about. So there are some wonderful benefits to farming, some key things you'd want to worry about. Liddell in 30 minutes can bring you up to speed on that. So a little much for the show, but Garrett, and anybody listening, farming is a, a fantastic way to get the kids involved in the business, make some extra cash flow, live a little bit of that American dream, uh, have that, uh, I mean, farming is, can be so relaxing if it's not your primary source of income, but something you do is almost a hobby and uh, for some extra income. Just so, so cool. So Garrett, check out um, Liddell's uh, information on that. Um, okay. I'm going to throw this one out to you, Matt, right off the bat. This is from Luciano. Uh, uh he says here, my father owns a property free and clear. He tried selling, but couldn't get the price he wanted. He doesn't want to deal with tenants any longer. I'd like to form a business with my father where he would be a silent partner. He transfers the property into the business, and I rent it out. I'd like to refinance the property, pull some cash out for reinvestment into additional rental properties. What would be the best entity to use? I've read it is difficult to refinance a property that's owned by an LLC, any tax implications in transferring the property to this new entity? Uh, Matt, thoughts? All right, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, definitely something that you can do. You, the things you're going to need to work through, and let's just separate these issues because this can be a little tricky. One is you're going to have estate and gift tax issues. So if the property is owned by um, your father, your father is going to transfer it to you, or to an LLC which you own, then that's going to be a gift. So whatever the value of the property is, that's going to be a gift. Now, you, depending on your father's estate and depending on certain gift tax rules, you may be able to take an exemption for that or you may gift it over time. So the first thing you need to address is the gift tax issue to get the ownership of the property from your father to yourself while your father is still living. Now, there's tax consequences in doing that, too. Um, uh, so, whereas if you inherit a property upon death, for example, that's always one of the best ways to get it. I know Mark likes to say that's one of the best tax strategies is, is dying. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some tax benefits to receiving property upon the death of your parent. Um, if they transfer it to you during their lifetime, though, what happens is you get their basis, which means if your father bought that property at a low price years ago and it's it's increased in price now, and whenever you sell it, you're going to pay a capital gains tax based on the value when your father bought it to the increase in price now. That's going to be your gain. Uh, if you if you receive it upon their death, then you get the property at the value of their date of death, which can really negate a lot of capital gains tax. So that's, that's um, and issue number one, which is a lot to no, consider Matt, let in me itself. Yeah, a lot, lot to consider. Let me interject this real quick because um, I had the benefit of being able to read this again as we've been talk, uh, as you've been talking. And he did say, "I'd like to form a business with my father." Um, so if you do create, um, which an LLC is going to be where you want to go, um, there may be a partial gift because dad may be an ultimate owner in the business with you. So it's not like he's giving you the entire property. But I, I like what Matt's talking about, about this gift or death and how is this property going to get in your hands. But if you're going into business with your father, he's a silent partner. Uh, Matt, you're going to lean towards the LLC. And what what's maybe one of those next issues that you'd worry about? Well, yeah, we de we'd typically do an LLC in that structure. Um, now, was this an apartment building? Is that what he said? Uh, no, he, a single he owns the property free and clear, but he just doesn't want to deal with tenants. So, oh, so it doesn't say. He doesn't say what type, yeah. Okay, because I know what the next question was about the financing. So he's basically yeah. getting equity out of the property. So um, if, the, if it was an apartment, it's usually not going to be difficult to get equity out when the property is owned in the LLC because most of those loans are done to LLCs anyways. If it's a single-family home, that might be a correct statement that it would be difficult to get a loan or to strip cash out while the property's in the LLC, or at least you wouldn't get as much cash out as if you had it in your personal name. So 
um, if this is, let's say, a single-family home type property, what you actually may want to do, which could be easier, is frankly strip out the cash now while it's simply in the father's name and then deed it to the LLC and create the partnership after the equity stripped out. If you're on with your dad when you then strip, strip the equity out or it's in an LLC and then you deed it out of the LLC, it just might be tr tricky. I would probably, if you're going to raise additional capital, strip it out now um, while it's in the father's name, and then that could be contributing to the LLC with the property. Yep, yep, absolutely. And refinancing is always, uh, or I shouldn't say always, but generally going to be easier outside of the LLC. But you are going to need an LLC in that business relationship with your dad, especially when they're tenants and, and all those sorts of issues. Okay, let's jump to our next question. This is from Kevin. He says, uh, Mark, I incurred startup costs for a new business at the end of 2014 of around $16,000. I don't have an S-Corp or any entity yet. I earn no income. Can I deduct the lump sum of the startup costs or in 2014, or do I have to amortize it? Uh, you will have to amortize it. Sorry, Kevin, that's okay. You're going to get the, the write-off, but it's going to be delayed gratification. You're not going to be able to take the write-off in 2014. It is very important that uh, you file the right types of elections and forms in that process, whether it's in the 2014 tax return or the 2015 tax return. So uh, keep a detailed list of all those costs. Talk with your CPA accountant. Make sure that they know in 2015 of what happened in 2014. But uh, generally, you're not going to be able to take those in 2014. Then he says, I also have an old 401k with about 20 grand in it. I haven't done anything with it since I left my employer two years ago. Should I just leave it alone until I'm ready to use it to invest in properties? Matt, what do you say when someone's got twenty grand in a four hundred one k? Not not a lot, but do you just leave it there mm -hmm. doing nothing? What 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 are your what are some good options? Well, I mean, if you're not ready to invest it into something, frankly, I'd probably just leave it there unless you have an immediate plan right now. Now, if your goal is, well, I'm looking for a property in the next six months, well, maybe move it over there once you're ready to move forward in three months and just get the self-directed account opened at that point and roll the funds over. But um, what a, a lot of self-directed custodians, what's going to happen is once you roll the funds over, it's just going to sit in a cash, non-interest-bearing account. So the, your cash is just going to sit there uninvested. So um, better off unless you're ready to make an investment, to leave it where it's at for now. And, um, I mean, maybe it's invested in mutual funds or something. I don't know. And those might not be the greatest, but they're better than probably having it sit in cash would be my guess. Um, so that's, that's likely how I would sit right now. One, one suggestion that I might throw out there, too, is, um, Kevin, just seeing if you do have a friend or a partner or contact that has got a project in mind. 20 grand may just put them over the hump to get where they want to be on a project. And you could take a minority position or play a role in another project. Since you don't have enough to do your own project, partner with someone else. Uh, and that's, again, what we said at the very beginning of the show, where an IRA LLC can have IRA funds, non-IRA funds, non-401k funds, all those sorts of things. Pool it with some other people. Maybe get, get rocking sooner. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, question from... Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate you throwing that. <laughs> I needed that. Okay, so a question from Brian here. He says, thanks for the great show. Uh, Mark, you're the best host ever. Notice how I didn't say Matt there, but uh, I didn't want to draw yeah. attention to that. Um, no, he didn't say that. Okay, my question is, if I utilize your strategy of paying my children who are under 18 for work they perform, which is related to my LLC, will the child need to submit a tax return? to document the income they received? Well, Brian, the answer is no, if you pay them under their uh, standard deduction this year. So, for example, if your kid goes works at McDonald's and they make less than $6,300, then they don't have to file a tax return this year because they can claim their standard deduction for their own earned income and no tax return. Now, there may be some withholding on their W-2 at McDonald's, and so they want to go grab that and get a little refund. But if the child's working for you, you're going to pay them um, as outside um, services, um, typically, uh, certainly no 1099. A W-2 is a gray area. You might want to issue them a W-2. Maybe the child wants to start an IRA. But, uh, but they certainly don't have to file a tax return at the end of the year. 
unless they make more than $6,300 this year. So good stuff. Uh, okay, question from Jonathan. I just started up a new S-Corp. How soon do I need to get payroll set up, start paying taxes, and file tax forms? What if income is going to start coming in the next month, but not this month? What are my tax obligations in filing as an S-Corp, and how can your firm take this weight off my shoulders? Uh, thanks. And then he says, thought I'd throw in a good plug for the firm. <laughs> Appreciate that. We'll take all those we can get. Um, Matt, what do you what do you want to say about uh, S-Corps and getting started? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's uh, operating and has some income. So uh, generally what a lot of clients are going to do is do quarterly payroll. Um, I don't know the type of income that will be ran through this or, you know, how many employees, assuming it's just the owner of the business, uh, likely be doing a quarterly payroll. So you want to get um, an accountant at, say, Coroner CPAs, uh, and uh, they can help, you know, set up payroll, and they'll do the quarterly payroll reporting. And, um, you know, there's just some communication in terms of how much money did you make, how much are you going to claim in salary, because one of the reasons you're going to be doing the S-Corp is you want to be claiming a portion of that income as salary and another portion as profit or dividend. That's one of the great tax strategies in using the S-Corp, but it requires doing your payroll. So um, you've got to take a reasonable salary when you have income coming out. So um, I would probably get your payroll set up now, actually. Um, if you're making income next month, that's still going to be in first quarter, so you're going to, you, you likely need to file something in the first quarter anyways. Yeah, and and on that note, Jonathan, it's not like you have to start a paycheck to yourself. Uh, track your expenses. Write yourself a draw. Take a little profit whenever you want in your S-Corp. But uh, your first payroll report will be due in April, and it's great to reach out to the payroll team now, like Matt said, and kind of get that paperwork started so there's no rush in April. Uh, the person to talk to at the office is Sandy Clark. She'll get you an engagement letter and go give you the uh, pricing and procedures. I can send you an email with kind of a breakdown of our payroll services. But really, I wouldn't stress about um, that weekly check payroll procedure per se right now. Just get the payroll service dialed in, ready to go in April, and know that it's coming. And that way you don't have that pressure. And so if you're talking about weight off your shoulders, build that relationship with Deborah and Cynthia in the in the payroll department. Again, Sandy Clark will get that uh, administrative paperwork started, and uh, you'll know what to do. Um, the, you'll, you can start doing quarterly deposits um, based on the profits you're making. Uh, the, the payroll service team, they're going to talk to you about that throughout the year. But your first tax return also is not due. If, uh, if you form the S-Corp right now, then the S-Corp tax returns not due until March 15th of next year. Uh, for those out there listening that you've done a, you've had a tax return, uh, sorry, if you set up your S-Corp in 2014, uh, you're around the corner, just a month away from, from tax time on your S-Corp. So filing a, an extension could be a, a really important um, uh, concern. So get on that. Um, uh, question, uh, another comment from John, a uh, different John, sent from his iPhone. He says, is it true that you can only do three flips inside your Roth retirement accounts? Oh, Matt, this is – did he tee that one up enough? Do, is that, did you feel that – did you just have a vision of being an eight-year-old walking out onto the grass field and there's a tee ball stand right there and, and someone just placed the ball right on top of that for you? There you go. That's John right here. Yeah, I feel like that, but I feel like I have like a fly swatter or like a tennis racket. Like I got the wrong equipment to hit that ball. <laughs> and the reason I say that is this is a question asked so much that has the most complicated gray area answer a lawyer could probably ever give. Because Ooh, I like it. it. It's a two-word it answer. Depends. I can feel it coming. <laughs> It, it depends. All right. It depends. Let's repeat yeah, the question again, though, for everybody listening. Is it true that you can only do three flips? Now that's a fix and flip rehab inside your Roth retirement account. So, so Matt, what's it depend on? Okay. Now it doesn't matter, by the way, if this is Roth or traditional or IRA or four hundred one k. So the issue is the same regardless of a retirement account. Here's the best way to understand this: is retirement accounts 
and the tax benefits of using a retirement account. You know, we want to buy assets and sell them for a profit in our retirement account because we don't pay taxes when we do that. That's one of the reasons people use a self-directed retirement plan to do real estate. They don't pay capital gains tax if they sell an asset for profit, whether that's stock or real estate. The problem is the tax benefits are designed for investment income or passive income. It is not designed for ordinary or operational income. What happens is once your IRA is flipping so many properties, it starts to look like your IRA is in the business of real estate as opposed to just passively investing in real estate. So if my IRA has a rental property or I own a property a year and sell it or I even have you know, one or two short-term deals in a year where I flip a property, I'm not really falling into being in the business of real estate. However, if I'm doing three a year, you're probably in a gray area. I'd say it's light gray right there, you know. Four, you're starting to get into medium gray. Well, and well, Matt, uh, let me add, and five, well, Matt, let me add you're, you know, you're you got to you you're screwed. And it's not yeah. can I do it? It's will my IRA have to pay a tax? And this tax is called there you go. tax when you sell it. Yeah. I just wanted to reiterate that. To exactly. I want to say this too, John, you can do 20 flips in your Roth IRA or 401k or SEP or simple or whatever. So anybody out there listening, if you don't want to buy rentals just in your retirement account, you can do fix and flips. The concern is this wishy-washy three, four, two, five, whatever it is, are you in the business of doing this? And if you do more than three, which is kind of that discussion area, then you might pay an additional tax. Which, Matt, you just were telling me the other day. Uh, this is, you know, UBIT tax or UDFI tax is not the end of the world. Um, and so you just have to run the numbers. So, right, all. yeah. And, you know, I mean, I even talked to a client just yesterday who has a few million dollars in a retirement account, has a really good development deal. They want to use the retirement plan. They know they're going to pay you, but we just ran the calculation. If the investment's still good, and this is where your money's at to do the deal, then do it. But sometimes I'll have clients that say, you know what, I'm going to flip a bunch of properties. Should I use my regular dollars and money, which I can do, or should I use my retirement plan dollars? Now that's a that's a more difficult question because then I'm probably going to lean on use your use your personal funds, not retirement plan money, because it's actually taxed less. But some clients say, "Well, I've got this huge pot of retirement plan funds. That's the only way I'm going to do this deal." Well, then let's look at the returns and just calculate in the tax, and then you decide whether to do it or not. Yeah, yeah, great, great points. Now I'm going to take this. Uh, well, we'll we'll come to. Uh, some announcements at the end. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say it now just because this question has opened up the door. Uh, on this question of UBIT tax and UDFI tax and borrowing money in your IRA or doing flips, and are these taxes going to apply? This is a related topic to the most amazing webinar you're going to want to listen to this week, maybe of your life. It could be. This, well, I've got some pretty sweet webinars out there too, but this Thursday night, Matt, do you want to tell everybody what's going on? Yeah, this Thursday night, we're going to do a webinar. It's um, about how to buy real estate with a non-recourse loan, essentially leveraging your IRA with debt. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's with free. Roger St. Pierre. It is free. The price is right. It's with Roger St. Pierre with First Western Federal Savings Bank. That's a long bank name. But, um, yeah, we're going to really get into the detail on this tax. We're really going to look at what if I buy a rental that has debt on it and I use a non-recourse loan because there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there, excuse me, who are so afraid to do that and I we're gonna really get into the detail and go over the tax and how it works so people can um feel comfortable about understanding what they're getting into. Yep. And and folks if you haven't uh uh seen uh, the the information on this it's in the newsletter the link to register it's a go to webinar link so please email myself or matt if you don't have the link uh and it's uh five o'clock uh pacific time i believe or what, what's the exact time thursday night so people uh, i believe it's about the five time. mountain five mountain let me okay, so yes Four Pacific, five Mountain. Okay, um, and we're, we've got a couple other announcements here as we get closer to the end of the show. So we'll, uh, uh, I think we've got Tony Bass on the line, so we'll bring him on here in a little bit and talk about an event I'm speaking at in a couple weeks that some of you may want to uh, listen into. Um, okay, so as I've said before, live callers get priority. So we've got uh, a question here. Let's see. 
on clarifying how you can be involved and owner in an IRA. So uh, Al, let's bring him out on the line and talk about IRAs a little more in depth. Uh, Al, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. It's been a while since I remember to call in. Um, you guys are talking about IRAs and doing flips in your IRA. My understanding of the of the law is that you can't be materially involved. You can't manage it. It has to be managed by somebody else. How can you expand on that a little bit? Well, you bet. I'll, I, the real expert's Matt here, and since he's been chatting a little bit about his event, I'll, I'll at least break up uh, the, the monotony here and uh, throw out a little comment first. Basically, the question is how involved you can be. You can certainly create an LLC, be the manager of that LLC, be have checkbook writing capability, file the tax returns, make decisions from afar, uh, be the quarterback, if you will, of the project. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, where it starts to get into a problem area or gray area is when you want to throw on a tool belt, uh, be the property manager yourself, be the contractor, hire one of, another company that you own or control uh, significantly to do the work for your project. That's where the problems get. Uh, um, so, Matt, did I butcher that, or would you add anything to kind of that control issue? Yeah, I mean, what, what's okay to do is basically administer the investment or oversee the investment. So that's a lot of things Mark mentioned. So if it's a piece of real estate, you know, you can go look at the real estate, you know, sign the contracts to buy the real estate, typically using an LLC, um, you manage the bank account, as Mark mentioned, screen tenants, decide who to put in there. If you're if it's you're fixing it up, if it's a rehab type project, hire the contractors, pay the contractors. Uh, and you just don't cross the line of doing the physical work. That's where the issue is. There's a concern. Don't go do the physical work and remodel the kitchen. But um, if you're doing paperwork, overseeing things, making decisions, that stuff's all fine. That's a pretty big gray okay. area. Well, I don't know. I if think you, if you stay within, this. I think if you stay within those those guidelines, I don't think you'd have a problem. I mean, that's yeah. Just, there's not cases on it. But we've never seen any concern from the IRS about, you know, except working on the property. That's where we think there's more issue. But everything else, I mean, I've never seen the IRS care about that. And how could they? Because everybody's got to make decisions about their properties and manage them and do the reporting. And and so I just I don't see that they would they would care to allege any tra prohibited transactions with that. All righty. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Great question, Al. Okay, we're going to move quickly here, folks, for the last 10 to 15 minutes here with some quick questions. Uh, this is from Rich. He says, I have seen articles indicating two problems with e-filing tax returns, security compromise and likely uh, uh, more likely to be audited. Uh, do you think we should paper file due to these possibilities? Uh, Rich, I've seen those same articles. I think... Um, uh, I think CPAs are just bored on what to write about. I, I just do, have not seen that. I think security compromise is important when you're using a third party that might not be as reputable. Certainly if you're filing directly with the IRS or using a mainstream major company to do your e-filing, I think you, I, I would say you're fine. Uh, more likely to be audited, I've never seen that. Uh, I will say this, the earlier you file in the year, there are more chances of being audited because you're getting in the system and their IRS is standing around waiting for work to do. Well, not really. They're very busy. But the later you file in the year, records have shown that you actually reduce your chances of an audit, even though the percentages are low. Uh, I mean, they're not huge increases in chance uh, or, or percentages, but uh, e-filing is fine. I e-file. I don't worry about it. So, Rich, good, good comment. Um, or good question to bring up. Uh, Diane uh, in Oregon says, I was uh, going to call Misty to get an answer to this, but now you guys can. Um, should we always track business time, the 500 hours thing? When is it necessary? Well, I, I'm going to just presume, Diane, of course, you're talking about real estate professional classification. So tracking your time with your real estate, that's where this 500 hour, 750 hour issue comes into play. So let me throw this out to everybody. If you're, you or your spouse is claiming to be a real estate professional and you want to take those losses on all your rentals, 
that's when this hour requirement matters. So first and foremost, everybody, don't worry about tracking your freaking time unless you're trying to make that claim as a real estate professional anyway. So that's issue number one. And, you're, and number two is you're not even going to be worried about that unless you have a lot of rental properties. If you don't have a lot of rentals or a lot of losses, don't worry about it again. Um, but if you are claiming losses and you are trying to be a real estate professional and, it, and you're on the bubble, uh, you're not full-time real estate broker agent and you're not you know, obviously spending hundreds and hundreds of hours during the year doing real estate and you're kind of on the bubble, then yes, Diane, keep a good business record as to time spent working on properties, bookkeeping, talking with your property managers, uh, your tenants, going through paperwork, review, you know, anything related to that property, keep detailed records so that if you do get audited, you can explain that to the IRS. Uh, question from uh, Curtis. Uh, I have a construction company where one of my employees would like to put up some of his personal money to help invest in a new construction project we are about to take on. How could something like this be structured without having him become a part of the corporation? Oh, boy. Matt, this is right up the alley of some of these partnership shows you and I have done before. So if you had a construction company with one of these employees wanting to play in the bottom line, what are their options? Well, the first, yeah, the first thing you'd want to start with looking at is probably a joint venture agreement. Um, we can get into an LLC as well, but I think the first thing you look at is, is a joint venture agreement. Now, the first thing to just think about is what's critical in these scenarios is defining the responsibilities and authority of each party involved. You know, in any partnership, who's doing what and what authority do they have? And then also indicating, um, you know, obviously how you're going to share profit and loss and, and what's the ownership. Now, a lot of people just get to profit loss and think, all right, when we make, you know, a million dollars, you get half a million, I get half a million, you know. And that's, and then they're like, all right, we got it figured out. Well, it's not as easy as that. <laughs> no, no. You've got lawsuit issues, tax issues. Yeah, we're just going to share. Sure. Right, yeah, yeah. You, know, you keep having, I'll get that off. So um, that's the first issue is, uh, we want to document it in some type of uh, joint venture agreement, or it could be the LLC operating agreement if you go formalize an LLC. Um, from there, there's a lot of tax issues, Mark. You know, in terms of uh, what type of real estate are they doing? Are they going to do a construction thing? They're going to sell? Or are they going to hold it? I, you know, I don't know. Did, did he say that? Maybe I missed that detail. No, no. This is so important. I'm, I'm, Matt, I like what you said, and I'm just going to say it right now. And that is, Curtis, if you're going to share in the profit on a project with an employee, you just can't slap down a 1099 for them. Uh, the state employment uh, divisions are going to claim that that should have been in the form of a W-2. You could have back tax problems. Also, if there's any sort of problem on the property, this poor fellow could get sucked into a lawsuit for joint and several liability as a general partner. I, I mean, it, there's just the best way to do it is like what Matt just said, form an LLC for that project. Create an LLC, make them a X percent owner, not of your corporation, but just the LLC for that project. Now you've defined a partnership scenario. Make sure that this employee is participating in some form or fashion that can be documented outside of his normal employee duties. What are they doing to be a partner? Are they putting in cash? Are they working on the weekends? They just can't be a part of it for the hell of it when they're getting a W-2 anyway. And now you're, you're, you're trying to turn them into a sub or a partner when they're really still an employee. If they look like a duck, quack like a duck, they're a duck. So, uh, Curtis, I think an LLC for that project on a one-off basis would be the way to go. So, Matt, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it. Um, all right. Another question here. And, oh, my gosh, we're coming up on our short time here, and I want to have time for Tony Bass. So we're going to take one more question, folks. If I didn't get to your question, we'll, we'll um, respond via email here. Um, Matt, throw this one at you. He says, I have a friend who has not received a 1099 from a few job orders she completed. How should she handle this situation? The money she received is above are above five thousand dollars per order. What happens if they never give her a ten ninety nine? Well, sounds like free money to me. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Matt, is that the case? <laughs> oh, did we lose Matt here? Oh, hopefully we didn't lose me. 
Let's see here. Sorry, I'm here, Mark. Go ahead. I, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I that got question. You I heard you. I, I heard you answer. I, you dropped off there. I didn't hear I, that at the end of that question. Oh man, I I gave a joke and everything. It was like totally <sighs> set up for I'm you. Sure I had a punchline awesome. and everything. Gosh darn it! You know, I, what kind of show are we running here? This is ridiculous. Okay, basically, I can answer this quickly so we can get uh, Tony on the line. Basically, uh, Rod says he has a friend. She has not received a 1099 from some job orders she completed. How should she handle this? The money is over five grand per order. What happens if she is never given a 1099? And I just jokingly said, oh. well, it sounds like free money to me. Uh, I think but that's so. not the case. Hey, <laughs> if the 1099 doesn't fit, you must quit, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, if the 1099 didn't ship, you must quit. I don't know. I gotta, I yeah, got to be some sort of little analogy there, right? No, yeah. Uh, tell your friend. Yeah, yeah. Rod, tell your friend, quote unquote. I like how you put this off on some girl. This is really you. We know that. Um, but <laughs> tell your friend that just because the 1099 doesn't show up doesn't mean you're running a taco truck down on the corner living <laughs> under the table. You know, this means that you still have to claim the freaking income. Just because 1099s don't show up means you earn money. Now, this is a great opportunity for her to take write-offs. She has a small business, so um, don't stress. Now. For those out there that should issue 1099s and you don't, there could be penalties and this sort of thing. So you want to issue your 1099s. But if you're on the other end and you don't get a 1099, um, uh, it doesn't mean you're, uh, you know, don't have to file a return or don't claim it. You still got to claim it. Okay, so right. <laughs> let's jump. Yeah, Matt, anything you want to add? No, but I love the question though. That's you know, that's a good awesome. One. Yeah. That's a good one. Thanks for throwing that one out. Okay, so Tony Bass, uh, a huge referral source of ours and partner and friend. He's been on the show. He's authored close to five or more books. I can't even. I don't want to go out there and say too much. Uh, he's just a phenomenal business consultant around the country. In our last two or three minutes here, Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me just for a moment. I just thought, thought I would. Uh remind you and reach out to your audience about your upcoming visit to Atlanta, Georgia, to the Tax Reduction and Business Automation Summit. We're holding on January, excuse me, on February the 26th. That's not too far away if somebody's out there listening on the East Coast and you're not that far from Atlanta, Georgia, then uh, you know how to contact Mark, I'll bet. Then Yes, um, and, and let me just say this right now. This Give us the title again because this is so cool, folks. I was at Tony's last event and in Kentucky, and this yep. business automation, it's not just tax reduction, but say, well, the, say the whole title again. Yeah, I focus on working with entrepreneurs and particularly business owners in the lawn and landscape industry. And if you, you know, business owners know, hey, we're busy people, we've got a lot going on, and one of the ways that we – help us retain more of our money today is by taking advantage of education from Mark and Matt here with tax reduction strategies. But today, the biggest trend in improving productivity for small businesses is through marketing automation. And so we've got uh, Lee Goff with uh, Get You Wired, who will be one of our guest presenters presenters at the Tax Reduction and Business Automation Summit. And, and uh, Lee owns a, a great company located here in Georgia like I am. And he was with us there, Mark, at the event in Louisville, Kentucky, back in October. And, uh, and, and the whole idea is, is that as business owners, we've got to do everything within our legal power to retain our money. And one of the ways we're going to do that is to learn how to manage the relationships with our CPAs more effectively. What I continue to see, Mark, with my clients is, are relationships with their accountants that are far, far, far from being engaged, uh, of being, uh, um, how should I say, uh, 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 educated, aggressive, um, concerned. I, I just, I'm floored by the, uh, by the lack of communication between most business owners that I talk with and their accountants. And I, and I just want to put you on alert real and, quick. Because and Tony, i got to say this. With, we've got one minute left, so let me just say this real quick. Folks, you got to get to Atlanta for this event. It's the end of the month. As you can see, Tony's got a wealth of information to share. Contact me. I'll get you to his registration page. We're going to have it on the newsletter. Matt also is going to be in San Diego the last weekend of the month. So uh, if you want to go to Atlanta or San Diego, there's two great things. But, Tony, thanks for sharing this with us. I mean, there's a, there's a, people have just got to get there. 
Mm-hmm. And and I appreciate what you continue to do, you and Matt, uh, with educating us here in the uh, in the small business world where we're living that dream, right? <laughs> right. And Every day. Tony, thanks for true. Yeah. Matt, go ahead. No, yeah, I'm just living the dream every day, one day at a time. One day at a time. All right, look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. In. See you in Atlanta, and Tony, we'll have you on next week. We'll find everybody again. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.